0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Steph. I am in Sacramento, California. It's Tyree Nichols' hometown. It hasn't started to rain just yet, but definitely looks like it's a possibility. Um, Feels a bit fitting.
1: In February... My producer, Steph Brown, went to 29-year-old Tyree Nichols Memorial in Sacramento, California.
2: I don't know, we wonder if there's a place like a memorial spot
1: where put some flowers or anything. The service was held at a local skateboarding shop. The front of the store sold bright t-shirts with graffiti on them, and vans, beanies, and of course, hundreds of skateboards in every color. Do
0: you think you'd have a favorite board on the wall? Well, I definitely loved the red and yellow because it was super faint of flash, but also 49 was the same color. So.
1: At the I memorial, Steph met Chris, Tyree's best friend.
0: I got held back in third grade because um, I'm hard of hearing, and it worked out because Tyree had just entered the third grade, so we got to be in the same class, and uh, we were troublemakers from the start.
1: From the third grade on, Chris said the two were like brothers.
0: He had that confidence that I always didn't have. People kind of gravitated towards him. And he was goofy. He was extremely goofy. Like, there was an episode of First Prince of Bel-Air. He loved to copy Will or Carlton. He did the little, little dance that he would do. And it, it was just hilarious. They went to their first dances
1: together, had their first crushes together. They even got their first tattoos together. Tyrese, a wolf on his calf. And they also started skating together.
0: He would film other skaters or his friends, or he had his friends, film him. And then he would edit the videos, and that's how that passion kind of started.
1: Chris told us skateboarding brought Tyree a sense of freedom, accomplishment, and an incredibly supportive community. The memorial was so packed with people that there was a spillover room set up across the street. And still, people stood outside in the rain, straining their ears
0: to hear friends and family talk about Tyree. I could tell him anything, like literally anything, because I trusted him. We always talked about getting old and being old parts, you know. He just, he wanted to live his life. He wanted to grow old. He wanted to be there for his son as his son got older.
1: You might have heard the story of Tyree Nichols. Tyree died on January 10th, 2023, three days after being brutally beaten by the Memphis police at a traffic stop. He was born in Sacramento and moved to Memphis a couple years ago. He was 29 years old. At first, the Memphis police casually called the arrest a, quote, confrontation. But Tyree's family released a graphic photo of Tyree in the hospital that showed a different story. And so not long after, the Memphis Police Department responded. — The Memphis Police Department has fired five officers following the death of Tyree Nichols this month. An investigation found the officers violated department policies, including the use of excessive force and failing to give aid after a traffic Within three stop weeks, five officers' names were released to the public. They were fired, and a grand jury indicted them on several charges, including aggravated kidnapping and second-degree murder. All five have pleaded not guilty. But speaking with Tyree's friends and family at the memorial,
0: my name is Michael Contreras, Tyree's older brother.
1: Charging the officers involved, it wasn't enough.
0: If justice don't prevail, this world would not be right. I'm talking about it's gonna be riots. Mother, she gonna to get towed. I'm just being honest.
1: In Memphis, skateboarders, students, activists, and families shouted from the rainy, cold streets for days in a row to demand justice for Tyree. Just for Tyree. Just for Tyree. Just for Tyree. Music blasted from parked cars and cardboard signs littered the streets. Some handed out pizza and water to protesters, and organizers told me that they felt the system had let them down yet again. They were tired of reforms and empty promises.
0: If we're not talking about policy changes and systemic action, I don't want to hear it. Immediate change, immediately!
1: Since the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor in 2020, the Memphis Police Department has taken a number of steps to try and prevent these violent encounters. But police still ended up responsible for Tyree's death. And what I was hearing on the ground was obviously these police reforms were not working. And these protesters wanted to point the city in a different direction.
0: At some point, we gotta wake up and realize things aren't keeping us safe. And not only that, they are murdering people.
1: And so, what is the alternative to all these reforms?
0: Defund the goddamn police!
1: Many are saying it's to get rid of the police altogether. But what does a world without police actually look like? protesters took to the streets nationwide for the second day following the release of body
0: camera video showing Memphis police brutally beating Tyree Nichols.
1: The protesters have now surrounded a cop car and are screaming Tyree Nichols' name.
0: We demand
2: that each and every officer, every EMT involved,
3: be immediately terminated. The
0: entire institution of policing in this country needs to
3: be dismantled and replaced.
1: I'm Alexis Johnson, and this is VICE News Reports. Where are we right now? We're actually riding past the Lorraine Hotel where MLK was murdered. Just being in the city that has so much of history and to be here in 2023, still facing those same types of issues, it's pretty bizarre, I would say. When I arrived in Memphis, it was impossible to ignore the history of the city. Memphis is the home of the blues and the birthplace of rock and roll. And it was also at the center of the civil rights movement. It's the city where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous mountaintop speech and where the very next day he was assassinated. That very hotel was just a couple blocks from where we stayed. It's Friday, January 27th. We are in Memphis, Tennessee, just hours after The video was released to the public that showed Tyree Nichols being beaten by police, which eventually led to his death.
0: But we are out here to demand justice.
1: Only three weeks after Tyree's death, the police officers had been named publicly, fired, and charged with second-degree murder. These
3: officers were found to be directly responsible for the physical abuse of Mr. Nichols.
1: The police chief immediately condemned the incident.
3: I am a citizen of this community we share. I am a mother. I am a caring human being. This is a failing of basic humanity toward another individual.
1: And after the DA announced charges, the MPD released the footage of the incident to the public. For comparison, it took 10 months until all of the body camera footage of George Floyd's arrest was released.
0: The unit that murdered has permanently
1: And two days after the grand jury and DA announced the charges, the specialized crime unit that these officers were a part of was fully disbanded. I've covered a number of police brutality cases in my career. And one of the reasons this case felt different was because the Memphis Police Department had updated their practices. Over the last three years, the department hired new leadership and passed policies that activists have been calling for, like eliminating no-knock warrants, adding implicit bias training, and increasing transparency around the use of excessive force. These reforms were made in order to prevent incidences like the attack on Tyree. Justice for Tyree.
2: Justice for Tyree. Justice for, Tyree.
0: Justice for, Tyree. Tyree. Justice for-
1: one person who I felt could help explain how Memphis was tackling excessive force problems and why these reforms weren't working is City Councilman J.B. Smiley, Jr.
0: On, Justice, for Tyree. Justice for Tyree! I am J.B. Smiley, Jr., the vice chairman of the Memphis City Council.
1: City Councilman Smiley is a native Memphian. He's a former basketball player, lawyer, and a self-described change agent. He's worked in city government for four years, so he's seen the changes that the city has made firsthand.
0: Hey, Vice. Hey, Eric. Hey, Vice News is here. What do you want to sit up here?
1: We met up with him a few days later in his office. Okay,
0: great. We
1: will get started. Can you talk a little about your record as far as when it comes to police reform and some of the things that the city council has done and what changes have actually been made?
2: Okay, great. So in 2020, uh, you know, right when George Floyd was happening. There were some changes that we pushed for. I think the eight that can't wait.
1: Eight Can't Wait is a nationwide campaign for police departments to pass eight specific policies designed to limit excessive force in policing. And it was a key demand of the protests in 2020. Memphis has passed a couple of these, including requiring officers to use de-escalation strategies and a duty to intervene if they see the use of excessive force. One of the reasons the Memphis Police Department was able to fire the officer so quickly was because they violated these very policies.
2: One thing that, in particular, that I pushed was a data transparency portal. Like, we need to know, have records of excessive force complaints and how they are disposed of. We need to have records of misuse of body-worn cameras and how, how we're handling those complaints.
1: The MPD also took steps to remake the police force to resemble its majority Black city. And now, more than 50% of the force is Black, including their new reform-minded Black female chief. What are your thoughts on how Chief Davis has handled this case so far? Well, I think
2: folks need to understand that Chief Davis is new to this role. I think she was appointed about two years ago. She's still getting a feel for the city. I appreciate the fact that she was very vocal. I appreciate the fact that, you know, she had a conversation with the family. But now we have to hold her feet to the fire. I think her clock is ticking if she does not take the appropriate actions.
1: We reached out to Chief Davis multiple times for this story and multiple times while we were in Memphis. She has not gotten back to us. Chief Davis's quick response was something to note. She met with the family and fired the officers in weeks. But this wasn't enough for many of the protesters. Social justice activists are calling for her to resign and calling for City Councilman Smiley to do more. So can you talk about how those decisions are made when it comes to giving so much money to the Memphis Police Department and then we have situations like this happen where they're actually not keeping the community safe?
2: Absolutely. So I think the police department receives about 40% of our budget. I think we should be moving money to programming. In the wake of George Floyd, there were several community members saying, hey, we need to do something different. How about giving young people an opportunity? How about increasing funding to parks? How about increasing programming in the city of Memphis? Ultimately, it failed.
1: The city council approves the budget, but Councilman Smiley says they can only do so much.
2: In 2020, this body pushed for serious reform in the city of Memphis. Our police association, they pushed back.
1: Mm. Our Memphis Police Department pushed back.
2: Our administration pushed back.
1: Memphis spends about 38% of its city budget on policing, which is relatively high for a city that size. But one of the areas that has suffered, despite the spending, has been recruiting. In an effort to make the job more attractive and fill vacancies, the standard for recruiting officers in Memphis has gone down. The requirements for education, fitness, and previous work history have been lowered. The city dropped the requirements for a college degree and lowered the necessary previous work experience to two years. And that's any previous work experience. According to current and former academy staff who spoke with The Washington Post, grading and penalties for cheating, including cheating on the fitness test, have also become more lenient. What do you think the standard should be to become an officer?
2: I think the city of Memphis has been losing officers ever since we cut pension benefits.
1: Last year, the Memphis police restored pension benefits for this exact reason, to, quote, recruit and retain more police officers.
2: That predates Mayor Strickland, but we're still losing officers due to retirement and um, raising nations. But that's just not a city of Memphis issue. That's a nationwide issue. It's not an attractive job. I think we saw, we witnessed it in the Tyree Nichols case. We are hiring uh, individuals who are unfit, physically and mentally.
1: Four of the five officers who assaulted Tyree had previous violations on their record at work, including failing to report when they used physical force. Two of the five officers had only been on the force for two years and were just 24 years old. Obviously, a huge conversation around this case is the fact that all five of these officers were Black. So, you know, at this point, you know, we've seen these cases play out at the hands of white officers Time and time again, but at this point, aren't we talking about a police culture issue and no longer talking about a race issue?
2: I think this particular instance makes it very clear for the entire world that it's not white officers versus black individuals or white officers versus poor individuals. And it's not black officers versus black individuals. It's blue versus black.
1: Right. This is something the protesters in Memphis have been screaming for years. You can implement reforms and you can increase resources, but policing itself is built on white supremacy. It doesn't actually matter who the officer is, the communities they target remain the same. You're talking about different legislative things that has occurred. You got a new police chief, right? More money for training. Like all of these things are always on people's minds when it says like we need to reform the police. But if all of that has happened that led up to Tyree Nichols's death, then Is reform even possible at this point? Not without a culture change. I can
2: propose a million different um, ordinances today or tomorrow. But if we don't have a culture change, that does nothing.
1: It is noteworthy that Councilman Smiley was at the protest. And it's noteworthy that he was willing to critique the chief. But I didn't leave the interview with a clear idea of how Memphis would prevent deaths like Tyree's. And so it makes sense to me while some people in Memphis still aren't satisfied.
3: I'm talking to you, J.B. Smiley. City council, y'all create the budget for Memphis Police Police. No more money needs to be given to this police department until y'all can assure us that we won't be here anymore. This is the last time I want to show my face at one of these goddamn protests.
1: Some people are pointing towards eliminating the system of policing altogether.
3: The entire institution of policing needs to be dismantled and replaced.
1: Abolition. Up next, what that would look like in Memphis and a proposed plan for how we'll get there. can whatever it looks like but this right not
3: working. No more.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: I was pissed because I had to braid my hair down. I in- Get it wet in the super wet in the shower so I could put in these two braids, so I could put a hat yeah, on you can put a, Yeah, I know, I, kept, I had to put a headband on. But so I like I my afro.
1: <laughs> Amber Sherman is one of the protest leaders and organizers we met in Memphis. She's 28 years old and grew up in Hickory Hill, just 25 minutes away from the city center where people rally for protests. Amber has her master's in legal studies with a bachelor's in political science. And she's told me she's made police reform a focus of her work for the past five years.
3: I think those small reforms mean nothing if we don't continue a push towards abolition.
1: While these small reforms have been passed, she's been protesting for larger changes in City Hall. You often find her posted up right behind the speakers at City Council meetings, holding up signs calling for justice.
3: When you have something passed, like, hey, can't wait, right? But if we don't go for something more egregious the next time, like completely removing police from traffic enforcement, then it's not going to do anything because long term, it just tends to reinforce the problem.
1: Amber talks about the limits of reforms a lot.
3: So first we got those body cameras, cool. Now let's get rid of police and traffic enforcement entirely. Let's disband all these task force entirely. Because then that frees up two to three million dollars that the police don't need, and we can actually reinvest that money into the community and make some real solutions.
1: You might be familiar with this idea of defunding the police. It's the notion that a city divests from police resources and reinvests that money into the community. Abolition takes this a step further. With the long-term goal of removing the police entirely and relying instead on alternative interventions, this process can look very different depending on where you are.
3: Abolition is creative; it's an opportunity. Some people even say like an invitation, into finding new answers to the problems of harm that we've experienced and building new ways to prevent that harm in the first place.
1: So, what what would a world without police? What would a future without police look like?
3: I think it looks like opportunities to invest in our communities, investing in transit, education, infrastructure, all the things that we don't have currently, and then empowering communities to be able to govern themselves, to be able to resolve conflict, to be able to talk about harm and different things through transformative justice, which are different practices that we've had for decades.
1: Police abolition to her is a huge change. It's abstract. It's not just about police, it's about revamping what we consider criminal justice, our neighborhoods, and restructuring the way we treat people. It's a fundamental change because the goal of abolition is to make policing, in its current form, obsolete.
3: Like the community I grew up in was very involved. My mom's neighbors across the street, I still know them to this day. It's like simple things of like making sure this person is good. Having, you know, a carpool every day. or. If they're, they're low on rent, let's throw a rent party. Help them get their money together.
1: Abolition calls for a change in how we interact, from how we support our neighbors to how we hold them accountable.
3: It's going to take a, a process, and that can be years in the making. It's, it's not immediate. And abolition doesn't, um, isn't a quick fix.
1: It's worth noting that in 2021, many cities did take steps in this direction. Seattle, for instance, had been using million-dollar police cuts to invest in community services and participatory budgeting, meaning members of the community get a say in how the public funds are spent.
2: Our ABC-owned television stations analyzed budgets for more than 100 police
1: agencies and found defunding never happened in most cities. But a lot of the cities that proposed massive budget cuts in the wake of 2020 reversed them only a couple years later.
2: 83% of the budgets we reviewed... Funding actually increased by at least
1: 2% between 2019 and 2022. And some experts argue those original cuts we saw, they were actually just from pandemic and economic realities, not a response to calls for reform. So ultimately, activists like Amber argue the power still remains with the police. So part of her solution is also reimagining the entire justice system at large. What happens after rape or a robbery? Or a a murder, a stabbing, a shooting.
3: I knew you were going to ask me about this. I feel like people always ask, like, what about the rapists and murderers? And my response is like, well, what are they doing with
1: them now? Amber has a point. Less than a quarter of people in prison are there for violent crimes like murder or rape. And when these crimes are reported or committed, they're often never solved or prosecuted. And yet we think about them a disproportionate amount when we're talking about public safety. Let's talk about the Tyree Nichols case, for example. I mean, I think
3: that we should we should let things play out. So if someone is allegedly recklessly driving, right, in a place where we have a community that is involved, you know, wave at them in the street and be like, hey, do you need anything? But it doesn't involve, like, you know, you having to pull someone out of a car and take their license and, like, all these extreme measures that could lead to some kind of violence.
1: How would you you know get the driver myself to the point where i would stop because my neighbor told me to stop
3: i think you have to build up that kind of community so like when i think
1: i think this is where it becomes hard for some people to picture being able to build the type of community that amber is talking about this isn't how most people operate today we're taught to be self-reliant if i am a witness for example i see somebody shoot somebody rob somebody whatever the case may be in a world without police who would I call? What system would be in place?
3: I would think that if I was in my community and I saw someone being robbed, I would either jump in and help them in the moment, or I would call folks and be like, "Hey, I'm saying this happened. Can you support this?" But
1: who would be those? Who would be those folks, though?
3: I think it depends on the community that you're in, right? So if you're thinking of Memphis, I would think of like our official BLM Memphis chapter, the Justice and Safety Alliance, Memphis Artists for Change.
1: But not everyone trusts their neighbors. Some don't trust their local BLM chapter to lead the community. And not everyone is going to want to be the person flagging someone down. And so I get why it's hard for some people to imagine replacing the police entirely. So looking forward to a future without police in a society like America... How do we make sure that these new systems in place aren't still impacted or infused with a little white supremacy on top? Like, how do we separate ourselves from something that controls pretty much everything that we do in this country?
3: I think the best way to do that is put the folks most marginalized in charge. So that looks like poor Black people, disabled folks, formerly incarcerated people, those who have had that lived experience because they know what white supremacy looks like and they know how to combat it.
1: What I've learned in my last few years of reporting is this current system is not working. The United States spends the most money on policing and has the highest incarceration rate in the world. And studies have shown crime fluctuates for a lot of reasons, no matter how much money we give to the police. But it's still hard for people to get on board with abolition because the system as it is, is all we know. And from what I've seen, we're actually becoming more individualistic more polarized and less trusting of each other. What makes you as an organizer so confident that this idea of abolition is the right one and that it can work and that it's possible?
3: I think that as cliche as it sounds, I'm hopeful. Like I said earlier, abolition is creative. And then whether or not it's in an organization or it's just me as an individual, it's definitely doable. And it definitely can be spread out over, you know, a full landscape of the U.S. versus just in one state or just in one city. And that does require hope. And it also requires me asking, like, how much longer are we going to allow these systems to stay in place? How much longer until we get real justice? How much longer until we see real change? What side are you on, my people? What side are you on? We on the freedom side. What side? You are my people, what side are you on? We're on the freedom side. Ella Baker was a freedom fighter and she taught us how to fight. So we gonna fight all day and night until we get it right.
1: On March 7th, the city of Memphis revealed that 13 officers from the Memphis Police Department were subjected to an administrative investigation. Of those, seven were fired, three were suspended, and two had internal charges dropped. One police officer retired before a hearing. The Department of Justice has also announced that it will be investigating the Memphis Police Department's use of force, de-escalation policies, and use of specialized units. The City Council also passed more reforms, creating an annual review of police training, preventing the use of unmarked vehicles during traffic stops, strengthening citizen review boards, and adding more transparency in sharing police data. We reached out to the Memphis Police Department and Memphis Police Association for comment, and they did not respond.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
1: This story was produced by Steph Brown and edited by Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. Special thanks to Dave Mayers, Scott Mulligan, David Mora, Jigo Armstrong, and The Sentencing Project. Vice News Reports is produced by Sam Egan, Sophie Casas, Adriana Rodriguez, Adriana Tapia, and Sheena Ozaki. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cotra, Janice Yamoka and Julia Nutter Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producer is Steph Brown Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone Fran Banning and Al Murdoch Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. For Vice Audio Annie Aviles is our executive editor and Janet Lee is our senior production manager Fact Checking by Nicole Pasolka Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Charles Raggio is the head of Vice Audio. I'm Alexis Johnson, filling in for our host, Ariel Duham ross